We are in Acts. We are in chapter 18. We'll be going uh, from verse 11 to 23. Acts chapter 18, 11 through 23. Let's go ahead and read that section. And he, that's Paul, settled there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat, saying, This man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or a vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there are questions about words and names and your own law, look after it yourselves. I am unwilling to be a judge in these matters. And he drove them away from the judgment seat. And they all took hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. But Gallio was not concerned about any of these things. Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. And with him were Priscilla and Aquila. In Centria, he had his hair cut, for, the, for he was keeping a vow. They came to Ephesus, and he left them there. Now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a, while, for a longer time, he did not consent, but taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again if God wills, he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. And having spent some time there, he left and passed successively through the Galatian region of Phyrgra, strengthening all the disciples. Let's pray and then, and then dive in. Dear Father, I thank you so much for this morning, for the opportunity once again to gather together as your church, to be encouraged through the faithfulness of one another, through our shared uh, salvation, our love of you. I pray that we would be encouraged, that we would be motivated through the truths of your word, through the worship and prayers and testimony of your believers to grow in our faith, to be strengthened, to be challenged, to move forward into the work that you've given us to do. I pray now for this time, for these, my friends, that you would give them attentiveness, that we would glean from your word the truth and encouragement that you have for us this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So our stretch of narrative this morning, at first blush, it kind of seems a little mundane. A lot of kind of more of the same. Acts is a pretty long book, and it kind of is, it's repetitive. It honestly is. It goes over a lot of the same things, a lot of the you know, new town, same stuff, again and again. And this really is kind of that snapshot as I'm going through trying to figure out where do I stop before something interesting happens. Uh, it just keeps going. It's really just a, a day in the life, uh, as it were, kind of just moving through life, doing the next things, these highs and lows of living life as a faithful, enduring Christian. But as I studied it, really this, this section, it's why I love the book of Acts, that we're forced, particularly, again, as, we, as we're studying through it passage by passage, why expositional teaching is so important, and allowed to just kind of skip over to the moments that are interesting to you. you. You need to sit down with the text and really think through it. Why was this included? It's easy to gloss over those mundane moments to go to things that are more stimulating or entertaining, but don't, don't miss the mundane. That's why this study is so valuable, and honestly, like, let's be honest, most of your lives, most of our lives are pretty mundane. They're just going to kind of be more of the same day after day, right? It's not camp week 
every week, thank goodness. Um, but like, let's be honest, and that, that's, that's the way most of our life is lived. And if, if we get into this habit or get into this mentality that we're just moving through life, really just waiting for the highlights of life, and we don't have an intentionality to live well in the day-to-day difficulties and mundaneness, we're going to miss the bulk, the whole of, of what God has for us in life. So in this passage, there's some really important, really critical things for us to build into our arsenal for our encouragement and admonishment to ensure that we were living well day by day as, as Christians. What I want us to see is that a faithful, fruitful Christian is someone who is patient, someone who is stable, and someone who is available. A faithful, fruitful Christian is patient, stable, and available. And those are our three points. Really, first, what we see from this passage, exemplified by Paul, is that we need to teach over time. Teach over time. That idea of being patient. Verse 11, and he settled there a year and six months, teaching the Word of God among them. So he being Paul, there being uh, the Corinthian church. So this is, he is in Corinth, which is, it's paired up pretty well with what we're learning upstairs we're going through this pretty difficult church, this church that's just really struggling to get it right, to, to be good Christians, to understand, to apply the truths of God's Word in a way that's loving and accurate, in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. And uh, Paul's got a lot of places to be. There's, I mean, it's, it's a big, wide world out there filled with unbelievers, and he has this, this uh, obligation, this compelling to, to go to all of those places, and yet he is patient when he finds people who really need him, who really need to be taught, he settles there. He settles in Corinth for a year and six months, teaching the Word of God among them. So that's our first admonishment. It's the reminder not to rush. It's a reminder that learning takes time, and so teaching takes time. And we need, like this, this speaks right to my heart. I'm a very, I tend to be a pretty impatient person. Like, I want to be articulate. I want to pick the right words. And if I say the right things, you should get it. And I shouldn't have to tell you again, right? And I wrestle with this, particularly with my son, uh, Eric, where you kind of have to keep telling him the same stuff over and over and over and over and over again so that he gets it. And he's reminded and, oh, right, oops. And he's, he's smart, but he's always going to be like pushing those boundaries. And so there's this patience, this endurance, this repetition that isn't frustrated, but it's, it's patient. We need, to, we, need, we need to have that same attitude. We need to, A, understand that learning takes time. Okay? So like you need to learn, but understand that the application of that will take time. It's okay for things to take time to learn. You need to endure, you need to be mindful, but it does take time. But then also with your friends, who you get impatient with, and you want to see them grow, this happens a lot. In a group this size, you've got friends that are stronger and weaker, that are more compelled and less, who know more, who know less. You may be, have this tendency to get frustrated and maybe start to isolate, and like, who's my people? They're like, get it, who understand, who have reached my level of maturity, and you start to form these little cliques and groups of those who get it and those who don't, don't, don't become impatient with people. 
It takes time to teach. So reach out to folks. Continue to do that. Paul didn't go to Corinth like, whoa, these guys are going to take a while. These people are probably going to be like, ooh, I might have to be here for a year and a half, right? He was fine with that. He understood that, that this is going to take some time. So day after day after day, he's going to teach them the Word of God patiently. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and in instruction. And it's going to take great patience to endure the grind of both teaching and being taught. Right? You might think, I've arrived, I've, I've learned everything there is to know, I don't need to sit under teaching anymore, it's time for me to be the teacher. It takes, it takes patience to both be taught and to be the teacher. That's why this call to be patient is here again and again and again. The idea of being ready in season and out of season really calls our attention that there, there really isn't an off-season. There's no time where you don't need to be patient in both learning and teaching. And I would ask you, like, do you, do you see yourself as a, as a teacher? Right? Are, are you a teacher? Do you kind of like, I'm a teacher? Most of you are probably like, nah, no, nah, not, not really. But yes, absolutely. Yes, you are. You're a teacher. At every level, with your words, even your body language, you are, you are flexing your opinions on those around you. This is, this is why you need, to, you need to think about that. You need to be careful. You need to be intentional with how you are conveying, how you are educating those around you. Both the things you say, the things you don't say, the things you say with your words, and the things you just kind of say with like, okay. But your body language says so much when people are communicating things to you and how how you respond to other people. You need to think about how you are teaching those around you. You need to value and care about the, the right application of God's truth, right? So many times I think we're, we're just kind of communicating or teaching our own opinions, our preferences, the things we think. Let me, let me give you my hot take. Well, here's what, based on my experience, here's what I would say. Who cares? Like, of all the people who could maybe give a decent opinion, it would be Paul, but he's not teaching his opinions. He's teaching the Word of God. So you need to know. We've, we've hit this many times. You need to know God's Word so that when you're teaching with your body language, by the, with, with the words you say, the communication you have with those around you, you need to be teaching the words of God, not just your own opinions or the things you think are right or wrong. You need to be right, and you can be because you can know God's Word. So that as you teach, as you're communicating your thoughts, they are God's thoughts and they are right. And you need to do this consistently, patiently, over time, not blasting in and out of relationships, not waiting until you have a title, you know, small group leader or youth pastor or whatever the title might be, your titles are, are going to be things like older brother, older sister, first shift Chick-fil-A chicken fryer. I don't know what titles you guys have, but those are teachers. These are the people that are, are out in the world bearing their influence, 
sharing their opinions with people. And those need to be rooted and grounded in the accuracy, the right understanding and application of God's truth so that you are teaching God's words. You are, you are going to say more than any pastor or youth group leader ever will because you're going to be out in the world more. You're going to teach more than I ever will up here. Okay? You're, you're teachers, so get it right. Understand God's Word and then teach it to your siblings, to your coworkers, your friends, yourself, your parents, the world, patiently, day after day after day until the day you die. Teach over time. Next, this idea of stability. For, for two, I have get over it. Just get over it. I was going to say let it go, but that, I'm, not, I'm smarter than that because then you're all going to be distracted. Let's start in verse 12. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat. And then all this stuff happens, right? This man persuaded men to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, he's like, finally, right? We've seen this again and again and again where the Jews bring Paul to some court. He gets a chance to share the gospel. They end up beating him with sticks or something and throw him in prison. Like, he's been here before. Before he's even able to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if for a matter of wrong or a vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there are questions about words and names and your own law, look after it yourselves. I'm unwilling to be a judge in these matters. And he drove them away from the judgment seat. And they're kind of like, oh yeah, you think so? They take a hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of, like, they don't even take Paul. They just grab some random guy from the synagogue. They start beating him up, like, you see this? You're just going to look at this, right? We're beating him up. Began beating him in front of the judgment seat, but Galilee was not concerned with any of these things. He's like, whatever. I don't care. Like, this is, this is about religion. This is not, who cares? Deal with it yourselves. Like, it's this, it's, it's, one, two, three, four, five, six verses here, and nothing really happens. Paul doesn't even get a chance to open his mouth. It seems to be this really kind of distracting, uh, pulling away from his time of teaching the Word. This, this whole thing goes on, and then he goes right back, verse 18, Paul having remained there many days longer. He just kind of goes right back to the thing he was doing before. And this idea of... of I mean, again, it's easy for us to read this, but in this is, again, just this mundane of like weird things happen. Stuff happens in our life that can seem so distracting. And so like, what was the point of that? Like Paul didn't even get a chance to open his mouth. He didn't get to share the gospel in front of a court like he normally does. He got interrupted. This whole thing went on. And then he's right back, just, I guess I'll just stay here and keep teaching the Word of God like I was before. And this happens in our life, does it not? Where stuff just happens in your life, and you're like, what was that all about? Well, that was kind of distracting. I, I thought I was doing a good thing, and, th and then I thought I was maybe getting an opportunity to do something awesome in a, in a trial or difficulty, but it kind of didn't turn out that way, and I, I have no idea what that was all about. And we, we, the, the Christian life, like it's, it's filled with this kind of stuff. Opposition, rejection, indifference, resistance, aggression, frustration confusion. You're not that smart. I'm not that smart. Like, we don't know why all of these things happen, and yet we get frustrated over these things. They seem distracting to us. We get angry. We get discouraged. And it's reasonable, but it's not okay. It's not rational. As Christians, as believers, 
do we not believe in the sovereignty of God? Do we not admit and acknowledge that God is in control of these things, that, that He's not up there like, I don't know either. <laughs> that was crazy what just happened. Like, He knows these things. He crafts these things, and He's not obligated to share with us why those things happen or what the whole point in that was. We need, to, we, need to, we need to get over those things. We need to get over ourselves. When we're, when we're discouraged and frustrated, really focused on the distractions to our own ministry, like the things that we believe that God has given us to do in the world. Paul's, his efficiency, his reach, it's always being interrupted. Right? It would, it would seem smooth sailing for Paul, like he's a faithful man. It's not like this guy's always getting distracted playing video games too much. Like this guy, he's focused. He loves to share the gospel. And wouldn't it maybe be a little bit better, God, if you just kind of took away the distractions, took away the things that put Paul in prison, and just let him do his thing? Apparently not, because this kind of stuff happens all the time. These distractions and frustrations and blockers to Paul's ministry. But Paul understands something that I think many, many times we don't. And it's this understanding that, that his ministry is not, like, it's not more important than the work that God is doing. The thing that God is doing in the world, that's the real thing. And whatever we're doing inside of that, it's, it's underneath that. It's, it's inside that. And where there are distractions or deviations from our plan, can we re- is it really okay? Does it really make sense? Is it reasonable for us to get frustrated in those things? If we're actually about doing the work of God, if we're actually about accomplishing what God wants, where, where's the room for frustration when it doesn't go according to our plan? Now, I could understand where there'd be frustration and anger and disappointment when we've kind of switched the hierarchy a bit, and now our ministry, our work is more important than the work that God is actually doing. And these things, like this happens to me a lot. This is something that was very convicting for me because I, I confine myself, right? How often do you get angered or find yourself just frustrated? How often can a good day, like today is going great, how often can a good day just turn, wow, today just went the wrong direction, like that in a moment, kind of like that can happen every day, maybe every other day, right? But where the, where the frustrations of life are looming large enough to really affect you, it's where you're, you're, the, 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 those sinful patterns of thinking, you're allowing your own view of your work and what you're up to in the world to loom larger, to be larger in your mind than God Himself. That God's work is less important than your work. That what you're doing for God is more important than what God is doing in the whole world. We need to see it that way. We need God to be big enough in our minds to where it's okay for us to not nearly know what's going on all of the time. For us to see deviations and distractions as blessings, as opportunities, and not as these things to be frustrated over, just trying to push those things aside and get back to the main thing. Paul understands this, and he just kind of moves through it. He just kind of gets over it. Maybe he's given a chance, maybe he's not, but at every level, he's mindful of God is doing something. I may not perfectly understand it, but God is doing something. 
And I want to be a servant in, in that bigger plan for all the things that we may try to do. God is the one who's sovereign. God is the one whose plan will be accomplished, not mine. And I think that can be helpful if we remind ourselves of those things. And they happen all of the time. It's good to make plans. But when they don't go according to plan, remember whose plan is, is always going exactly according to plan. And is there really room, if we believe that God is in control, for us to be frustrated with that, but rather to rejoice that God would do what is good. And so the seeming kind of pointless distraction, he thinks it's defense time, gets interrupted, but this whole thing kind of blows over, and he just goes right back to teaching, staying there many days longer, the Lord seeming to bless for sure, but still the Corinthians have trouble. And I think this idea of, of keeping in mind whose, act, like whose work are we actually accomplishing, God's, not ours, that anything we do is sort of underneath or sub beneath what God is doing. Paul sums this up really beautifully in 1 Corinthians. I like that it's in Corinthians. He, he seems like this, he was learning something here. Paul really gathering this information, and I'm working for God, not myself, and so these frustrations or disappointments and distractions, let's see how he views them in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 5 through 9. What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. All Paul sees in, in every opportunity, every moment of life, whether it's going according to his plan or not, all he sees is opportunity, this idea of God's field and watering, and planting. It's idea, the idea of sowing, where you've got a field, and you're serving the Lord. The Lord wants to produce fruit, but only the Lord can produce fruit. And so whether things are going according to plan or not, right? You're, you're moving from field to field, but all you see is opportunity. And whether that field is kind of, you know, comfy in the shade, slightly damp soil in your bare feet. Oh, it feels so good. I was a farmer, and I would walk through the field sometimes. It's nice. Or it's like a sun-baked, uh, really, really hot field, and there's like little sticks that poke your feet. All you see is opportunity. No matter what field you're in, whether you feel that it's rich or you feel like it's dry, I see opportunity. And that's going to happen all of the time in your life. You're going you're gonna to have moments where you're like, yes, this is great because it's comfortable and it feels good. And then all of a sudden you're going to get moved to a, something that's difficult and hard and painful for your flesh. You need to see the opportunity like Paul did. There's, there's, a, there's a chance for me to water. There's a chance for me to plant. Only God can cause the growth. I'm not laboring over making sure, ensuring that I see fruit because that's in, that's in God's realm. If He moves me to this field or He moves me to that field, I see opportunity. I see opportunity to sow into eternity, this reward that he's talking about. 
Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. You work for a reward, but it's an eternal reward. And whether the field is comfortable or difficult, you see the opportunity in it. Galatians 6, 7 through 10, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. If you're just looking to build comfort into your life to please your own flesh, guess what? You're going to get a whole big handful of corruption at the end. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. This is going to be the challenge. This is going to be the difficulty. You're going to want to grow weary. It's going to get hard. It's going to get boring the mundane things of life, not again. You're going to want to stop being patient. You're going to want to move your own field. You're going to, there's no fruit here. That's not what you're given to do. That's what God does. Is there opportunity to plant? Is there opportunity to water? And there always is, no matter where you are. So don't lose heart in doing good, for in due time you will reap if you do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity. Let us do good to all people and especially to those of the household of the faith. Paul saw this everywhere. Anywhere there was people, he saw that opportunity. Here's my chance. Whether it was the people he intended to see that day or not. Whether it was the field he intended, he thought he planned to be in that day or not. He knows that his life only is so long. Only so long do you have an opportunity and so he did good to all people and especially to those who are the household of the faith. So when life changes, when it doesn't go according to your plan, you need to get over it. You need to remember that God is sovereign, that everything always goes according to his plan. So it will be difficult, it will be hard, but remember God in his sovereignty and get over it. Next and finally, we have the idea of being an available Christian. This idea, point three here, strengthen in person. I really like this one. So the end here of verse 18, so um, he takes leave of the brethren, so he stayed there many days longer, and then eventually though, he does take leave of the brethren, and he puts out to sea for Syria, and with him were Priscilla and Aquila, we spoke about that, he's taking them from Corinth, he's gonna church plant them in Ephesus, Um, They came to Ephesus, he left them there, now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews, and they asked him to stay for a while longer. He did not consent. It seems that they didn't need him. He had Priscilla and Aquila, he leaves them there, they seem to be maybe a bit stronger. He would love to stay with them, but his heart is pulling him. He did not consent. Taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you again if God wills, and he set sail from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church. Then he went down to Antioch, and having spent some time there, he left and passed successively through the Galatian region and Phyrga, strengthening all the disciples. And this is one of the most striking and compelling and, and convicting attributes of Paul for me as I've studied through Acts. It's this idea of his, his personal care for people. And for all of his travels, all of his big speeches... His presence, his importance, he's an apostle. He's going all over the world. This guy's famous. His prowess, 
He never lost, but rather grew in his deep love and care for getting face time with specific churches and individuals. He cared deeply for people and longed to be with them face to face. And he risked a lot to be in the same room with the people he loved. Travel's a bit safer than it used to be. So it's a little bit easier for us to get face time with people. But Paul, he, he would risk a lot. It took a long time take boats, actually just walk for miles and miles. He loved these people, and it wasn't enough for him to just send letters. He did. He sent letters because he loved these people. But he also used his feet to go and, I, I want to see your face. I want to give you a hug. Apparently, also like, holy kiss. But he wanted to be with people, actually like see them. There was something very unique, very special about actually being with people that, that was a priority for Paul. And the, the encouragement, the challenge here is that there, there, there is n- there's no substitute for FaceTime, being with people, actually being able to see them and be close enough that you could slap them, maybe, maybe give them a hug. But you, you need to be that close with people. This, this, this can be a real challenge. They didn't have texting and and FaceTime, and Snapchat, and so we can make an excuse for ourselves, like, I'm connected. I've, the whole world is connected. It's, it's not the same. You know it's not the same. This is why we don't do church camp over Zoom. Like, it matters that you're with people. It matters that you're there. You can, you can, you can see them. You can kick a kickball and smack them in the face. Like, there's something about being together, sharing that experience that's, that's important. It matters that God has built into humans this need to be together. And it's dangerous with the amount of connection that we have to think that I can just be alone in my room, I can isolate, and it's, I'm, still, I'm still connected. I can see what they're up to. I can kind of text back to them. Like, I'm connected with these people. No, you're not. Unless you're spending FaceTime with them, unless you're there with them, it's not the same So we need to be together. We need to be intentional. We need to strengthen one another, actually. And we need to to speak. We need to, like, this idea of teaching God's Word, sharing God's Word. We need to be intentional. This isn't just casual conversation. This is intentional, gospel-oriented, encouraging one another towards the things that really matter, towards heaven, towards not growing weary of doing good, of seeing one another doing those things. So it's not just chatting. It is that, but it's so much more than that. You know this, like these deep friendships, deep conversations. So be intentional. Be there. Take the time to travel, to be with your friends, but not just your best friends, right? Paul had some best friends. Priscilla and Aquila were some of his best friends, and he left them in Ephesus to go and be with other people. Do you guys have best friends and you spend a lot of time with your best friends? You need to leave your best friends sometimes to go and spend time with other weaker believers so that you can strengthen them. You need to distribute your strength to those who are weaker than you are. That's how the church is built. It's how it's strengthened. So have your good friends. But you also need to have your friends that are weaker. And you need to be intentional to share words with them that build them up, that strengthen them, like Paul did. I mean, it broke Paul's heart, and it, I mean, there are, there are passages in these books where he leaves, and they're just weeping, but they want him to stay. Why would you leave? Because 
He knows that he is strong and the people he's leaving are strong and he needs to go somewhere where they're weak, where they're struggling so that he can build them up and strengthen them, distribute the strength so that they don't grow weary in doing good, but they reap a harvest. So you need to be intentional. You need to spread your presence. Be there for people, actually, face-to-face. Don't just spend FaceTime with your, with your good friends and then text people that you're kind of like, ah, whatever. You need to be intentional to get FaceTime with people that need to be strengthened. There's some really good examples here. I want to read through these that Paul, you, you can see Paul doing this again and again. 2 Corinthians 1.16, that is, to pass your way into Macedonia and again from Macedonia to come to you and by you be helped on my journey to Judea. He wants to fellowship with this, with this church back in Corinth to say, I want to be strengthened by you. I want to have fellowship together so that I'm stronger, I'm built up, I'm encouraged, and that you would then send me out. I'm not just going to hang out. I'm going to be sent on my way to go and strengthen other churches. Romans 15, 23 through 25. But now with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you, Whenever I go to Spain, for I I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. But now I am going to Jerusalem serving the saints. Paul's intention with fellowship and community and face time is not just I love it and I want to be with people, it's I want to be strengthened, I want to be encouraged, I want to see your faith and be encouraged in my faith where we're building each other up and then to separate again, to be built up in strength and then be sent on my way so that I can go and repeat that with with another church, with another group of believers, to build up a new church. 1 Corinthians 16, 5 through 7, this happens again and again. But I will come to you after I go to Macedonia, for I'm going through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time, if the Lord permits. This idea of personal relationships, and fellowship, FaceTime, they were not just nice-to-haves for Paul, they were strategic, purposeful. They were really this idea of survival mechanics for advancing the ministry of the gospel. That wherever Paul was going to go next, he was never too far from a church who was praying for him, never too far from a church that knew about him, that had had built him up, and that as he retraced his steps, he would never be that far from fellowship and encouragement, prayers, financial support. It was all necessary. And thus, it was the intention of Paul. He baked that into the DNA of his Christianity of fellowship encouraging one another, spending face time with each other. And we would do well to do the same. This was one that was actually kind of, this one's been a little hard for me. I, I was um, a homeschooler. We grew up in the woods, so we didn't really have that many friends. And our church wasn't super strong where I was, so I didn't have that many Christian friends. And then I went off to Christian school. I spent three months in Mongolia. And I, I built some of the first strongest Christian relationships with folks out in Mongolia, but I'm not there. And so when I came back, I, 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 I spent a ridiculous amount of time texting those people and trying to stay connected with people in Mongolia. And I'm not going to be able to go back there 
every couple of weeks. And it was really hard for me to kind of like make the break and find Christians where I was because it's so important that you have face time with believers where you are. And as you move through life, as you go to school, as you, if the Lord chooses it for you, you, you get married, you might move somewhere and it will be very tempting to try and maintain and hold on to all of these friendships with people you're probably never going to see again. And there are some exceptions, some few exceptions of like these really special best friends, right? Paul does write to and maintain relationships with a few really good people. But wherever he is and wherever you are, you need to find people that you can, you can see right there, slap them in the face, give them a hug, right? FaceTime with these people. And it will become necessary for you to let some relationships go so that you have the, the time, the mental energy, the love to actually spend on people who are right there in front of you. And you need to do that. It's difficult. But will we not spend eternity in heaven? Will we not have these people forever? If they are believers, you will spend eternity with them. And so be in the field that you're in, sowing, watering, that you may reap that harvest. So in closing, I would like to challenge you to commit to teaching over time, not just blasting through life from place to place, friend to friend, but taking the time where you're at to invest deeply and meaningfully over a long period of time, however the long would have you there, bearing your influence, teaching the truth of God's Word again and again, day after day, faithfully until the day you die. Teach over time. Next, get over it. Not getting discouraged when things go wrong, but rejoicing with the rich fields of opportunity that God is blessing you with, committing to sow into them in joy and abundance until the next opportunity, the next unknown, but not unknown to God, comes your way. Get over it. Don't get stuck on things that are disappointing or discouraging. Believe in the sovereignty of God. And finally, Commit to strengthening in person, not isolating or introverting. That's just not my personality. You need to live in community, face-to-face, with people, in church, locally. Your people, Christ's people, loving them where they are, making the time, cherishing the time, loving the time to be with the people that Christ loves. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you so much for this passage of Scripture and the example that it is, the the lesson that it has for us, and just the ordinary, day-by-day mundaneness of life. I pray that you would encourage us in these things, you would challenge us, that we would be motivated to sow in the fields, that you've planted us in, wherever they are, however unexpected or potentially frustrating from the plans we may have had, that we'd remember who really holds the plans that you would encourage us in these things, you would help us in these things, that we would grow in fruitfulness. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.